Please stand for the reading of God's word. And we are in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. So as you now know, this is, this is our fall kickoff morning, and um, next week we'll jump into our fall series, but we wanted to just spend this day thinking about the fall and kind of dedicating ourselves to the Lord this fall. And we thought Romans 12, 1 through 2 is a perfect uh, passage to do that, familiar to so many of you, and, and as you heard from Trev, we're going to team teach us. I'm going to teach verse 1 and just talk us through that, and then Trev's going to come back and talk us through verse 2. Uh, but before we look at verse 1... I don't know how, how like seasonal transitions are for you, whether it's from the summer to the fall or it's a new year, but I, I think for most people, they represent at least the possibility of something new and different, right? And uh, a chance to step back and to think about our lives. And I think, I think that kind of the natural bent of a lot of people, at least, is to think of transitions in terms of resolutions and to think, what, what do I want to resolve to do in this new season? I have an opportunity to, to have a fresh start and um, maybe I want to be more disciplined, or I've got some new goals that I want to set out. But I'll just tell you, for me, when we hit a new season, there's this inner voice that says, maybe I can be a better version of myself in this next season, whether it's the fall or the new year. But like, maybe this is an opportunity for Dave 2.0. And uh, at this point, it's like Dave 47.0. Uh, and I keep you know, having new versions of Dave. But like, that's the voice inside of me that says, gosh, maybe... Maybe I can be a better version of myself. And especially coming out of the summer, I don't know about for you, but like a lot of our, our normal rhythms are off in the summer. So you come into the fall just kind of feeling out of shape. Like not physically, but your life feels out of shape. I've lost my spiritual rhythms. I've been staying up later, you know, waking up later. And fall, it's time to get in shape again. And this, there's, a, there's a, at least for me, there's a feeling like I want to I wanna grab my life by the reins again. I want to grab the steering wheel of my life again and, and be more intentional and set a, set a good course. And there's, not, there's a lot about that that's good. Um, but the danger of that is it, it can become very me-centered, it's, it's about me and, and what I want to see happen for me and changing me. And I think the biblical invitation is actually something different than that. And the, the biblical, the word I think biblically is that these seasons offer us an opportunity to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. Or maybe to say to, to rededicate ourselves, which actually is a move in the opposite direction. It's rather than taking firmer hold of our lives... <laughs> It's actually an opportunity to release that tight grip of our lives and kind of let go of the reins and, and remember, oh God, this is, I want to live for you. I want to offer myself to you. I want to invite you in to these things because my temptation is to try to control my life and do it on my own, but I want to rededicate myself, offer myself again to you. And that's more about surrender 
and letting go than it is about gripping tighter to our lives. And I think that's, I say all that because I think that's a part of what Romans 12:1 is all about. So I'm going to put it on the screen so we can just look at it together. Uh, there it is. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, or you might say yourselves, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable worship. And for most of us in this room, this is a really well-known verse. And here's what I just want to make two points today that really struck me as I was reflecting on this this week. One is, it's familiar, but just how radical this verse is. But second, how utterly reasonable this verse is, okay? So let me just talk you through this. So this, this idea of offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, dedicate yourselves, offer yourselves, I just want to suggest that's a very radical thing that Paul is calling us to do. And what he's doing is he's drawing on the Old Testament imagery of animal sacrifices. And many of you know this, that the ancient Israelites, part of their worship with God involves sacrifices. And I want you to actually, I know you've heard this many of you a million times, but I want you to picture this. This was a way of dealing with their sin. Well, what people would have to do is you would take an animal from your flock, let's say a lamb, okay, an unblemished lamb, you'd set it aside apart from the rest of the flock, and you would bring it to the temple to the priest, And the priest would then slaughter that lamb, right? Yeah, people are going like this, right? Yeah, it's not pretty. Kill this lamb. And then this lamb's body, or at least parts of this lamb's body, would be laid on the altar and burned up. Just, right, offered, pulled out from the common people, offered, fully laid out on this altar and burned up. And the smoke of that would go up as an offering that was pleasing to God, a way of dealing with the sins of the people. Okay, and Paul is using that image and saying, when I say give yourselves to God, I'm talking about something as radical as that. I'm not saying give a part of yourself or give a piece of yourself. I'm talking about what would it look like to just lay it all out, to fully place your life on the altar like that animal and say, God, this I want to give this to you. I want to give my life to you. I don't want to hold anything back. Okay, you see here how radical that is? That's the image Paul is giving us. Um, there's an old preacher's joke. It was never funny. It's not funny now, but I'll say it anyways. Um, <laughs> about a chicken and a pig on a farm. And one day they're walking on the farm and the chicken says, you know, we should provide breakfast for the farmer. How about this? I'll provide the eggs and you provide the bacon. Okay. I told this to my kids last night. They're just like deadpan. There's nothing. And the pig, of course, says, well, <laughs> that's great. That, all that requires for you is a token offering. But for me, that requires total surrender, right? Total surrender. And this is the image that Paul is giving us. I want you to just completely surrender your lives as a sacrifice, but he calls it a living sacrifice. I'm not calling you to actually die for God. I want your living in your living to be a, a sacrifice, the way you go about your work and the way you engage your marriage and the way you engage school and sports and how you use your money and your talents, all of it in your living, I want you to say, God, I give this to you. I dedicate this to you. I want to use this for you and your glory. What is mine? I want to give to you. And so as we enter officially as a church into the fall, what I want us to be considering this morning is how can 
we give our lives to God in a fresh way. And here's the question I want you to consider today. Uh, as you think about the fall, as you think of the, let's just say the next three months, what are you holding on to that you need to give to God? What's something that you're tempted to, to hold tightly to that God is through today saying, I want you to give that to me. I want you to let go of that. I want you to offer that up to me. Uh, it could be a fear you have that he's saying, I want you to let go of that. It could be a hope, an ambition you have for this fall. It could be a project at work. Uh, it could be a relationship or a set of relationships that you're wanting to be seen a certain way. Um, it could be money. It could be any number of things, your health. But I want to invite you to, to, what would it look like to hear God today say, hey, let go. I want you to loosen that grip you have on this part of your life. And I want you to, I want you to give that to me. And it's going to feel radical to do it right. It's going to feel like I'm totally giving up control. This, I, this feels a little crazy to me. It is radical. And what would that be? Think about that today. Talk about that. Uh, with your friends and with your spouses afterwards. So it's radical. But the other thing I want to say about this verse, and what, this is actually what really hit me this week, was how uh, utterly reasonable what Paul is saying actually is. It sounds radical at first glance, but when you get inside, you're like, oh, that makes total sense. And you'll see in our verse, he actually uses this word, this is your reasonable worship. And literally in the Greek, the Greek word is logikos, where we get the word logical. He's saying this is logical. This is the most logical thing to do when you understand reality well. And so I want to talk about how reasonable this is. And this is, again, what really hit me. You got to go first, go back to what he says at the beginning of the verse, right? I urge you, what's that phrase, brothers and sisters? Let's say that next phrase. In view of... God's mercy, right? I'm going to ask you to do something radical, but it's in view of God's, literally, he says, in, in, in God's mercies. And what he's done for the first 11 chapters of Romans is lay out the mercies of God, how God has been so generous and gracious to us in giving us his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, and then in giving us his spirit who lives within us and is at work in us. And so what Paul is now saying, I'm going to ask you to do something radical, but I'm not asking you to give your life to someone you don't know or someone you don't trust or someone who's going to take what you give him and mess with it. I'm asking you to do that with someone who has been so gracious and generous, who loves you, who's merciful to you, who wants good things for you, has a proven track work record of giving himself to you. So I'm only asking you to do what he has already done for you. It's, a, it's an entirely reasonable thing to do because he's so merciful. So that struck me. But what struck me even more was what Paul says right before this verse. And so if you have your Bibles or your phones, you have to go to the very end of chapter 11 and what Paul says there. And this is the thing that kind of floored me this week. It won't floor you. You're smarter than I am. I, I can't figure this stuff out, but it really hit me this week. So Paul has laid out 11 chapters of the mercy of God, and here's how he ends chapter 11. I think this is like verse 33. I'm not sure. You can see it in your Bibles. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And then here's the last verses in chapter 11. This is what hit me. Who has ever given to God 
that God should repay them. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So in our, cha- in our verse, he's basically, I want you to give yourselves to God. But he has just said this. Who has ever given anything to God? in such a way that they would give something to God that he then owes them something back, that he should repay them. And he's saying, no one has ever done that. Why not? Because from him and through him and to him are all things. You can never give anything to God. Why not? It's already his. Everything in the universe is his. God will never be in a person's debt. There's nothing you could possibly give him that isn't already his. Like a month ago, I was really struck in our grace reading plan. I was reading through Acts. And Paul says something very similar that just floored me. This is when he's in Athens. And he's, he's in a temple and there's all these, all the Greek and Roman idols of the day. And he's walking through and he's engaging with their philosophers. And he's like, let me tell you about the God of the universe. And here's how he, how he goes on to describe God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He's in a temple at the time. And here's what hit me. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. I thought, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. This this God He has no needs that any of us in this room could fulfill. (laughs) Think about that. In himself, there, there are no needs that he has that you could fulfill for him. The world was not created because there was a lonely God who needed friends. Okay, he's he's good. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he is he is good within himself. And history doesn't move along with a God who's who's desperately needing human beings to do things for him or they won't get done. And that's how the Greek and Roman gods work. That that is not this God. He is not served by human hands. But that's strange because all over Scripture we're being called to serve God. So how do you serve a person who doesn't need your service? Right? And a lot of us want to serve God. We want to to give to God. And, And Paul is saying here, no, the flow of giving is all in one direction. You don't give God anything that he needs. No, the opposite. He gives everyone First of all, your life, your existence, your breath, right? How many breaths have you taken since I've been up here for the last 10 minutes? Every one of those is a gift from God. Oh, and what else? Oh, and everything else. Everything. We want to give to God. We want to serve God. Paul's like, you need to recognize the flow of giving is all in one direction. God is constantly giving you things, whether you're aware of it or not. Even when we think we're giving things to God, we're only giving him things that are already (laughs) his. Right? King David says this. When when King David wants to build a temple for God, and ultimately his son will build the temple, but he, he takes a collection of money, he gathers the gold and the timber. He gets everything together and all the people they're going to help. And they're going to build this awesome house. And it is an awesome thing. They want to build and give something to God. But David says this, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give to you, God, as generously as this? For guess what? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. 
All these things were yours. We're giving you what's already yours. I don't know if any of you parents, when you had young kids and it was Christmas time and you want to give gifts to your kids, but you want like to involve them, you want them to be able to give you gifts too. And so if you're cheap like me, you go to the Dollar Tree store and you say, let's get, let's, we'll get mom and dad a gift. And here's, you give them a $5 bill and they go around the place and they get some gifts from mom and dad and they give you something back. But the, all they're giving you is came from your own hand. And Paul's saying, that's, how, that's all it can ever be in our relationship with God. That's always the dynamic. All that we give him is ultimately just coming from his own hand. We're simply giving him what is already his. And so, back to our verse, and I'll conclude with this. At first glance, I said, this feels very radical, right? Like, you want me to lay out my life? just offer to God all my stuff, all my hopes and dreams and plans and my wealth and all this stuff. That feels so radical. At first glance it is. But when you kind of get inside of what the gospel is, Paul is saying, that is not that radical. That is just living in reality. Like that is the most logical, reasonable thing to do because it's already his. And so when we let go, when we start to loosen our grip on things and we let go, we are simply acknowledging reality. I am yours. Every breath is yours. My life is yours. You can take my life like that. And all these things come from your hand anyways. So why not live in reality? And I think that that changes the feel of this verse for me. Because growing up, I'd hear this verse and I would feel the radical nature, and I'd feel like, I want to do something radical for God. I want to do amazing things for God. But there's this kind of this striving and this straining and like this, almost this performance in it. Like, God, I want, to, I want to do something epic for you. And now I feel this verse very differently. I feel, no, this is about, this is about letting go. This is about the stopping of striving and trying to control my life. This is this is kind of about like just falling back like that animal, falling back into the arms of the one who actually already holds my life and getting in touch with his grace, his generosity, his mercy. And ultimately what this is about, it's not about performing. This is about trust. It's about saying, Lord, okay, this is true. I want to live in reality. I want to offer myself. I want to offer you what's already yours. And I want to trust you with it. And so maybe that's another way to ask the question I asked earlier about what are you holding on to tightly. The other way to say it is, where's God saying, just trust me. Trust me with this relationship. Trust me with this project. Trust me with your stuff. Trust me with this sport. Trust me with this class. This is the, this is the journey of faith. Paul begins Romans by saying, this is salvation by faith from first to last trusting ourselves with God. Amen? So now, um, I want Trev's going to kind of invite us into what does that look like to do that in a key area of our lives, which is our minds, all right? So we're going to look at verse 2, and Trev's going to come on up and take us through that. Um, he's really nervous and insecure, um, and he's not a great public speaker, so smiles up, if you would, kind of nod, a couple amens would be helpful. Yeah. Dave actually said he was pretty intimidated by verse 2, and he needed a high school pastor to uh, 
probably taught this a thousand times, but um, no, honored to be together and to continue in this. Obviously, this is one thought for Paul, but you get two sermons, which is kind of awkward, but here we go. Uh, do not conform to the pattern, pattern of this world. So Paul's referring to the world here to describe a specific moment in time, as in a current state of the world. And many of the Bibles have a reference note that says the word for world can also be translated to age. So pattern of this age or pattern of this current moment in time or pattern of this generation. So Paul's acknowledging that there was and there is a certain pattern of thinking, behaving, living that's normative in society at a specific moment in time uh, and place that's not in line with God's will. That's not in line with what God wants for his people. And there are followers of Jesus who are willingly or ignorantly falling into this pattern of thinking and living. And Paul throughout Romans and many of his letters points to two distinct ways of living that followers of Jesus are struggling with. One is living by the flesh, the instinct to gratify ourselves, our selfish desires, our bodies, uh, our sinful desires, or to walk by the Spirit. That is living by God's grace, trusting in Him and His guidance and following Jesus in that way. And just to acknowledge that he's speaking to Christians, people who are saved, people, as Paul talks about in Galatians, who are free from the law of sin and death, and yet still live in this tension between gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following God. And the danger is the desires of our flesh are often validated by what is normal in the society around us. Uh, John Mark Comer says this in his book, Live No Lies, are disordered desires are normalized in a sinful society, which functions as kind of an echo chamber for the flesh, a self-validating feedback loop where we're all telling each other what we want or what our flesh wants to hear. So this is why things like gossip or lovingly talking about people behind their back uh, or things like uh, underage drinking or excessive drinking or subtle dishonesty related to cheating on tests or our taxes, uh, pornography and other things have become normal, not necessarily approved of, but they've become normal even within our Christian communities. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And he continues to point out that we're not, uh, we're not to use our freedom to do whatever it is that we want. We're free from that instinct, that primal desire to, to, to live as though our life is our own. And just as radical and just as reasonable, Paul is calling us to live into that freedom. Uh, and he continues in Galatians as well, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, pointing out what the flesh is. What are some of these things? He says they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So as I was reading this, some of these do in fact seem obvious to me, uh, but the, the way that Paul lists them is probably not how I would list them. Uh, and some of them weren't super obvious to me. Included in with orgies, idolatry, and witchcraft is envy, the feeling of discontent or even resent, uh, was being resentful to someone because you long for what they have, whether it's their possessions or qualities that they have uh, or just their good fortune. Or selfish ambition, this hunger to uh, achieve for the purpose of your own glory. Or fits of rage, that anger from within comes out in maybe even violent ways. But Paul's acknowledging that there's ways of thinking and living uh, that change in a time, right? For some of these, these aren't necessarily things that we're talking about on a Sunday morning that we're struggling with, uh, but things might be changing in different times, and yet the pattern of the age, the self-reliance and self-gratification of the flesh remains. To view our bodies as our own, to view our lives as our own, uh, but we're often blind to the water that we're swimming in. John Stone Street says this, Uh, about the classic saying about don't ask a fish about what water is. Uh, and he says, fish don't know they're wet. In one sense, of course, there's nothing fish know more than being wet. But the proverb points to the difficulty of understanding our own environment, the one in which we are completely immersed and take for granted as normal. Like fish, immersed in water, we become immersed in ways of thinking and patterns of living that we become unable to recognize them. Culture shapes our perceptions of reality in similar ways. In short of doing the hard, intentional work of examining the culture around us, it won't occur to us that the world should be different than it is. Uh, I have two daughters. One is, uh, I don't have a picture, sorry, you were waiting for it. Uh, two, uh, two and a half years old and the other seven months, Lily and Sage, they're beautiful and fun. But I spend about 80% of my free time at parks and playgrounds now observing the herd mentality of two-year-olds as they figure out ways to play on the playground in ways that it was clearly not designed to be used. Usually my daughters, the first to uh, climb up the slide and then everybody looks to the slide as something to be climbed up uh, in a moment. And I think what I've realized is that's just human nature. We, uh, we see what is normative, even if it's against what we're designed to do, and we follow that. Although uh, we may become more sophisticated in our uh, playground etiquette, some of us, uh, we get older and our flesh uh, can still reduce our minds to look more like a toddler following patterns of behavior that validate what we think we want uh, or what we want in any given moment. And Paul is calling this out. He's saying that as followers of Jesus, we should resist conforming to the pattern of thinking and behaving that does not align with God's will. And I think it's just helpful to acknowledge that we are all becoming a certain kind of person. We are all being formed. But the question is, are we being conformed or transformed? And Paul doesn't seem to point out a neutral state. We are either being conformed to the pattern of this age or transformed in the renewing of our mind. So Paul continues, but be transformed by the renewing of your 
mind. So Paul's continuing this thought as we live as an offering to God, resisting the pattern of this world, we are by God's mercy transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our minds are renewed. They're restored back to the kind of thinking that we are intended to have in line with God's will. We are transformed. And at the risk of giving an overused analogy, butterflies are pretty cool. Uh, Natalie and I uh, ha- found a caterpillar eating our basil plant. So we decided how cool, Lily will love this, we'll put it in a jar with the basil that it wanted to eat. Uh, and we'll watch it make a cocoon and become a beautiful butterfly. And the cocoon just started. We're so excited. We've been watching it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, turns out we looked at what kind of caterpillar it is, and it's going to be a moth. But uh, it still counts in terms of the teachable lesson of transformation. Uh, I'm really excited to let it go outside after it becomes what it is. Uh, but something I was thinking about is when you look at a cow, if you're to look at a caterpillar and a butterfly, we all know what happens, most of us. Uh, but uh, when you look at them, you, we would acknowledge that they're completely different creatures. One is a slugging around or slinking along kind of creature, and the other is a flying around kind of creature. And you don't see butterflies once they receive their wings, just slinking along like a caterpillar anymore. No, they're free. They've become uh, something utterly distinct and different, and they get to enjoy that freedom. Now, we're not butterflies, uh, but by God's grace, we become a new kind of person when we put our faith in Jesus. When we receive the gospel, we become a new kind of person, and yet we are still susceptible to conform to the pattern of this world. And obviously some of our stories, for those of us who've come to faith in Jesus, it is that drastic, like, I was this person and now I'm this person. And others of us, the transformation was more gradual and slow, but we recognize the difference in our thinking from, uh, from the time before we knew Jesus to the time after. And yet what's hopeful about this passage is that Paul is saying we're, we're not done yet. We are continually being renewed in the transformation of our mind to be more in alignment with God and how he thinks and what he wants. And I sense sometimes in my own life and in talking to youth and in our community that there's a subtle apathy or even a fear related to spiritual growth, to transformation. Like, I'm, I've been struggling with this thing for so long, there's just no way that God's going to transform me out of this. Uh, but either way, God's not finished with us yet. He's continuing this renewal process that as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him, as we resist conforming to the pattern of this age, God's work is the work of transformation. God's work is the work of renewal and alignment with him. And that way is so much better. Test and approve God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Imagine becoming the kind of person who can look out at the world and all that's going on in politics, in uh, the radical individualism of our age, in sexuality, in any given moment, looking out and with love, recognizing exactly what God wants in that moment for you, being in total alignment with him. I think that's what Paul's getting at as it relates to the renewal of our minds. And the last thing I just want to acknowledge is 
This is not a self-help strategy. Uh, The purpose of transformation is so clearly not about us. The purpose of transformation uh, and the renewing of our minds is for the sake of others. And I won't go there for the sake of time, but Romans 12, uh, uh, verse 3 through 10, uh, Paul is hitting on, or really 3 through 16, just literally 16 verses in a row of ways that we are to engage with one another, to cling to what is good, to hate to what is evil, to live in peace with one another, all of these different things Paul is getting at. So clearly, in Paul's mind, the transformation that he's speaking into is for the sake of others. Last night, I was at, uh, Natalie and I were in a wedding in uh, San Diego for a good friend of mine that I went to high school with, and uh, Love them, but uh, I was living a very different life in high school, and uh, my friends continued in that way of life, and when God captured my heart and I started following Jesus, our lives went in different directions, and for years, I, it was weird. I experienced varying levels of, I wouldn't say shame, but like guilt in not remaining friends with some of these friends, but the lifestyle they were living, and some of, it just wasn't in line with where God was, was leading me. Uh, and it's been almost over 12 years since then, uh, but this was one of the first times where we all kind of came together, and it was a little bit of a high school reunion situation, and I was very, I don't know, insecure going into it and worried about what they think of me or whatever it may be, and a, a few things that I just, I just thought of in the moment. One, how grateful I was for God's grace in my life over the last 12 years and, and longer, and just how... Uh, how much freedom I, I felt in, in contrast to many of my friends who continued to live in the pattern of the age. The second thing was in those relationships with those friends and my insecurity, I experienced a lot of judgment towards them or a lot of, um, I don't know, I didn't think well of them. But last night when I was around them, uh, I really felt like I was able to love them well because I felt distinct from them. Like the way that I lived my life felt very different. The way that I thought about my marriage and my family and my work, and it felt different. And because of that, I felt space in my heart to love them and to pray for them and to, to talk with them about their lives. And uh, that was when it struck me that that all that God is doing in our life, all that God is doing in aligning our hearts and our minds with his will is not about us. And when we make it about us, we essentially go back before the offering. The offering is saying, God, this is about you. This is about you, and in light of that, this is about others, that the people that we are becoming is for the world. We must be a people who are distinct from the world for the sake of the world. That we can be a different kind of people in order to love them with the love of Jesus, that they would know him. So as Dave posed the question, as we enter the fall, uh, and think about kind of the question, as we go to the fall, what do, you, what, do you need to, what do we need to do? How do we need to offer ourselves to God? I think the question I pose is, um, in a sense, where are you stuck in the pattern of this age? Uh, I've grown up, I joke, in a seven-mile triangle my whole life. I have dreams that every Orange County kid has. I'm going to get away from here. Uh, and then you realize just how awesome it is here, and you don't want to leave. But uh, I was at UC Irvine and MCS and Newport Harbor and just this little triangle. Now here. Uh, or continue to be here. Um, and, but I think I just had a moment of realizing 
how uh, in, in any moment of real self-reflection or, or prayerful reflection, uh, I am, I've absolutely conformed to the pattern of the age in Orange County, uh, and I still have my mind needing to be renewed in a lot of different ways. Uh, related to wealth, related to achievement, related to image, related to ambition, um, and so many other things. So the question is, where, where are you stuck? Where do you need to be renewed? Where do you need to offer yourself in that way? Maybe it's in your finances, or your sexuality, or your body, or what you wear, what you watch, listen to, read, how you spend your time, your relationships, your habits, your morning and evening routines. Every aspect of our life is to be offered to God and then conformed to his will and not to the pattern of this age. So the question is, where and how can you offer that to God? How can you, rather than assimilating to the pattern of this world, assimilate, become one with God and his will for your life? So with that, I'm going to invite Christina up to pray for our community because just acknowledging that any transformation that we need from God, any renewal that we need from God, we need him to do it. Um, so Christina's going to pray for us. And our worship team's going to come up. Thank you, Trevor. So we have this radical and yet reasonable invitation to offer ourselves. So we want to do that now. We actually want to take time to dedicate ourselves, to dedicate our community, and to dedicate this fall season together. And uh, I want to encourage you, our bodies matter in this, our posture matters, and so you might even extend your hands out as an offering. You might imagine yourself before the Lord giving yourself. I encourage you to kind of picture yourself literally placing yourself before him as we pray. So with that, let's take some time to pray. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we come now and we just want to pause before you. We want to bring our whole selves, our mind, our hearts, our bodies, our brokenness. Father, we want to come to you right now with all of who we are and acknowledge our need before you. But we thank you that as we acknowledge our need, we come to you out of who you are, that you are a God who has given us a myriad of mercies. You have poured them upon us. We have tasted and experienced your grace and your love and your compassion toward us. We thank you that you are a God who sees us and cares deeply about us and wants intimate relationship with us, that you don't stand far off. We thank you that you are a God who is powerful to transform. So we come to you in light of who we are, and we ask you to just take us. We hand ourselves over to you because we're already yours. And we ask that you would then bring freedom in our lives and in our hearts. Father, we acknowledge, both individually and as a community, that we have allowed the patterns of this world to infiltrate our minds, our hearts, our rhythms, and we confess those before you, God. 
right now. We do what Declan did, and we say, you take our sin, God, and transform it. Take these areas of our life where we're maybe not even aware. Awaken us to the ways that your world has just, those, those patterns have taken over. And then, Father, we ask that you would transform us, that you would, in fact, renew our minds, that you would help us grow in the knowledge of your will and understand who you are and and absorb your truth and live out of that truth. Father, we want you to align our hearts with yours that we would be able to discern what's best, as Trevor says, in all circumstances because your spirit is at work in us and speaking to us and moving through us. So, Father, we don't want to quench your spirit. We want, to, we want your spirit to come to life within us where we are so aware of your heart and what you long for for us. And Father, we just acknowledge as we move into this fall season and we all have our own individual rhythms and we have our community rhythms and we start these various ministries, Lord, we know that we cannot do anything apart from you, that we are desperate for you, that we need you, that actually nothing we do matters if you're not integrally involved in it. And so we just, again, we offer ourselves to you, we offer our rhythms, we offer the things that we do, and we say, come and move. Lord, I pray that this would be a season, as we're talking about this Laodicean challenge, Lord, that you would mark us as being different people this this fall, that something changes. We don't even, in some ways, know what that looks like, but we know you want to do a work, and so we say, come and do that work in us. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.